as we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner. You'll meet a guy, someone you can trust, a battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, whatever it is, whatever time appropriate greeting uh, fits your particular situation as you're listening to The Schmidt Show. I am your host, Brad Schmidt, and back in the studio once again is our very own Hig. Uh, Noah Chalaya, and we are going to be talking with him today. We're going to be uh, we're going to be kind of interviewing Noah. We're not going to be just doing a um, uh, having Noah join the conversation. It's actually going to be focused on the Hig today, or at least um, a little bit on the Hig. Hig so, worship. <laughs> wait, what? Hig worship. Hig Hig worship. Hi, I, I, I've never been able to do. The, the accents. I've never been good at that. Oh, you have to go to the Indian head wobble. Then you head can do the- <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll teach you so, over time. So for those who don't know, the Hig is uh, the half Indian guru, Noah Chalaya. His dad is from India. His mom was an American. And uh, he was raised in Norwegian Central in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And so the reason we've got the Hig on today is, of course, last week we talked a little bit about the about the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We talked about the the Steven Crowder stuff and and the shadow banning and the social media and the YouTube deplatforming and demonetizing and Facebook, you know, spreading rumors or not spreading rumors depending on their uh, their political bent and and all of the stuff that's going on with social media. Conservatives feeling like they're being left out of the discussion and the the left attacking conservatives saying that they control everything and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to, in the vein of the discussion we've had the last couple of weeks on the Schmidt Show of telling people or, or people telling their story, um, Noah, I, I kind of want you to tell your story a little bit of how you ended up where you are, kind of in the middle of the the tech world discussion uh, as it relates to politics. You're involved in podcasting as well, and there's the the discussion now of of wanting to break up some of the tech conglomerates, saying they're too big, and and you know there's the the various ways that people can access all of this technology and and access information. Um, and you've been involved in that discussion, not just in the politics side, but also on the tech side. So um, uh, let's start with you kind of telling your story. How did you end up in the tech world? How did you end up doing what you do? How did you become the HIG? And, you know, how does that relate to some of the political stuff? And I've got some questions for you I want to ask you about, too, and about how how some of this interacts or intersects with intersexes. That's not the right word. Intersects. <laughs> That just sounds well wrong. How what the intersectionality is better with, than Poutine. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. What is the intersectionality with politics in all of this? So um so I got my start um I guess really working with commercial IT for a long time and uh and managing IT environments for businesses. And then what ended up happening was I got a call from a guy who owns a podcast network and he said, Hey, you're pretty good with that Linux stuff. And with that IT stuff, would you like to come and co-host a, a Linux podcast with me? I said, yeah, I would love to. So we did that for a couple of years. And who is that? <clears throat> That's Chris. Oh, Chris, Chris Fisher, Jupiter, yeah. Broadcasting. Jupiter Broadcasting. Yep. So I went and worked with him for a while. And then, um, after that, he decided that he didn't want to do the show anymore. And I said, well, I'm actually having a lot of fun doing this. And he said, well, here's what we'll do then. I'm going to go off and do a new show. You go off and, and kind of take the parts of the show that you like and spin that into your own thing. And so I started a weekly talk radio show called The Ask Noah Show. Now, Answer is, people's technical questions. Was was um, was the show you were doing with Chris, was, that, was he also a Linux expert as yourself? Mm-hmm. Was he also yep. a non-HIG HIG? Non- yeah, ha- non- yeah, he's Indian a white hig, but yeah, he's a white- yeah, he for sure, yeah, he's, he's okay. totally a, a guru. He okay. just doesn't have the Indian part. Okay, all right. So, so he's just a, yeah, just you know, half white. Actually, he's fully he's white. The so wig. fully white wig is not that's not a thing. Anyway, so <laughs> so I uh, so I started the Ask Noah show. It was great. Had I've had a lot of fun doing that, and um, it, throughout the course of doing that, what I realized was I've always had an interest in politics, right? Um, and at a t- at the time, Jupiter Broadcasting actually did a 
political show. And I had the opportunity to fill in a couple of times and really enjoyed it. And so I started looking for a way to build or to start talking about that content. And then you and I kind of got connected right. and I finally got that opportunity. No, you know, large thanks to you. Right. Um, and then, so moving forward, what I've done is I've tried to constantly keep my finger on the pulse of anything that is both political and technical. Mm. So when we go to ban free speech, when we go to deplatform people, when PayPal goes to, you know, limit the amount of money that somebody can take in because of the content of their message, those things are interesting to me. They're interesting right. to me because from a technical perspective, I believe that the internet is the last free place on earth. Right. And I don't think that it is an appropriate place to have um, governments. I don't think it's an appropriate place to impose your morals. I think that it's best left to everybody uh, deciding for themselves what's right, what's wrong, and to leave everybody else in the middle alone. Is there some danger in that when you when you say leave everybody alone? Not and on the internet. When well, what I'm saying, what I'm getting to is, you know, if on the internet, if it, if everybody gets to decide what is right, do pedophilia yes uh, people get a post? You know, they, well, they get to they get to discuss right. If they if you violate a law, obviously they uh you know they have you know then you know if they post pictures or something and they start exploiting children, obviously they need to okay. be arrested and put okay. in prison. But All right. but but uh. Is, should it be wrong? Should should it be against the law for somebody to advocate for pedophilia, to advocate for the change of law because they mm. don't agree with it? Now, I think that's repulsive. I think it's disgusting. Right. But I'll stand up for somebody's right to talk about it. Yeah. If they want to. I mean, I fair st- And I would stand yeah. up for somebody's right to to articulate their belief that Nazi Germany should have continued. Right. Well, I find that to be a disgusting, repulsive belief. Well, one of the things that I've said, and I've actually had this argument on the on the terrestrial radio show. In fact, I just had it on Friday. We were talking about that. Somebody said, you know, what's your thoughts on this, that, or the other? I don't remember what the actual question was. And I said, look, the, the, the reality is I, I truly believe, you know, the, the old adage that says sunshine is the best disinfectant. I, I want idiots like that out there discussing sure. in public because I want people to see how crazy they are. Mm-hmm. I want people to to be aware that hey, there is this kind of seedy underworld that is is out there and I want it exposed so people will be able to fight against it because if you don't believe it's there, if you don't acknowledge that it's there, don't want to address the reality that that kind of stuff exists, it's going to continue to grow and fester underneath until it explodes into some, you know, some traumatic or, or, or disastrous kind of way. So I want the white supremacists to talk. I want to see as many white supremacists on national news as possible so we can point at them and go, that's crazy. That is inappropriate views. That is not, you know, that is not in line with with the mainstream of humanity. We we don't like that, and those people are out there, so we can kind of not not shun them, but just expose them for for their their radical belief systems. Yeah, the answer to free speech is really more free speech, isn't it? Yeah, like it if really you is. have something that you disagree with, even strongly, then the answer to that is to let that person speak as loudly as you can. And then let the rational voices of reason uh, drown them out. Right. And I think the way we do that is with more free speech. So the answer is never to try and silence people. In fact, history has told us that that never actually works anyway. Right. So there's that, as the kids say. So anyway, so to come back to kind of your story and how all of this stuff intersects is is you are – every time I say that, it sounds weird – um, you, you've been involved with the technology side of it. And is, is there a way for, for those of us who are on the right, who are leaning to, or away from, um, what, what MSNBC, CNN, and some of the others are, are putting out there and wanting to kind of compete in the world or in the arena of ideas, yet we're, we're being, apparently or or seemingly systematically you know quote unquote deplatformed that it seems like a, a buzzword to, to to use that but it's it's really i guess an accurate description so where where do we where do we go how do we fight against some of this i mean google's got all of the money and the resources in the world to to do all of that they control a lot of the platforms whether it's through google or facebook or whatever so what do we do for those of us who want to have our voices heard is it just you know, sign up for Fireside and 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 start your own podcast, or 
Is it is it harder than that? Google doesn't doesn't scare me because at the end of the day, not even Google with all of their money and all of their power can outstrip the free market and can outstrip capitalism and can outstrip innovation. Right. Right. However successful Google is, there is a another Google that is up and coming and is going to be twice as successful as Google whenever that new Google takes form. Right. So Google, the company doesn't scare me. What does scare me is when Google starts to get in bed with the government and starts to use the full force and weight of the U.S. government to Mm. enact oppressive regulations that are going to prevent the next Google from starting up. That scares me because it you you can control something or someone before they have risen to power once they like. So, for example, to to kind of illustrate the point, I don't think Facebook is afraid of Google because Facebook has a big sword. Right. Right. Google really can't do anything to Facebook that Facebook can't fight back and vice versa is true. Google, Facebook can't do anything to Google that Google can't fight back. Right. But when you have Mark Zuckerberg in his Harvard dorm room and he's going to invent the next Facebook, but Google has, what was their thing? Google plus. Yeah. Google, uh, and, and, they just, and they decide that they yeah. don't want to compete with Facebook. And so then they go to the government and say, well, if you're going to have a social media, you know what you have to do. You have to be permitted so that you have uh, three people for every hundred people that you have to watch and monitor for hate speech. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we have hate speech. Right. And so we're doing our part. So if you're going to start a social network, that's fine. We'd love competition. We don't mind it. But, you know, what you got to do, you got to stem this hate speech stuff. Right. Well, when you start going down that road, now all of a sudden it becomes entirely unrealistic for a startup in a college dorm room to be able to compete and have staffing the same way that that, that Google does. And so... That's what I worry about. And so that's what I kind of fight against. And so anytime I see, I'm fine with whatever Google wants to do. They want to take people off of YouTube. Fine. Um, Where I have a problem is when we go into the legislative process and start saying, well, now we're going to make it so that, oh, I don't know, you have, you take, you have to, uh, you have to follow these government regulations or we're going to put these things in, in place that kind of stuff scares the the ever-loving crap out of me. And the problem is it's a difficult battle to fight against because oftentimes at its face value, they look like nice things. We want to ban hate speech. Oh, you're fighting against banning hate speech? So you want to be able to hate people? Why right. do you want to hate people, Noah? I don't want to hate people. I just want people to be able to express their opinion, whatever that opinion is. Right. And just because somebody doesn't agree with it, I don't think the government should come down on them and, and deplatform them. Right. Well, and that's, and I guess for me, that's the, the, the bigger concern or the, I, and not really the concern, but to me, that's the more important issue is the, the government being the ones telling us what we can and cannot do because it, you know, it's Google's platform, you know, whatever Schmidt guy, whatever, what's his name? The guy that J James or Michael or George or Eric, Eric. Yeah, there you go. Whatever the Google dude, right? Like it's his platform. He built it. Um, his, his wisdom, his knowledge, his expertise or whatever built it. And if he doesn't want me on there, fine. You know, I I mean, it's, it's really, um, you know, if I don't want him to be a guest on my podcast, then that's my prerogative. And if he doesn't want me to be using his platform, whether it's Google plus or YouTube or whatever, well, it's his platform. And so the government coming in and telling me that, you know, Google, you know, I have to allow Eric Schmidt a a certain amount of time on my podcast is really no different than the government telling Google that they have to allow my content on their site. That's right. Um, However, the, the other side of that is if you're not going to allow everybody on your platform, then stop seeking public recognition as as an open platform, right? right? The thing that drives me nuts about Twitter is they keep saying that they're an open platform. They're not an open platform. They deplatform people all the time. They block people all the time. So that's fine. You can be a closed platform and you have the prerogative to choose who can and cannot be on your platform. But then stop promoting yourself as some sort of open platform that yes. everybody is welcome on. Everybody's not welcome. Only yes. the people you agree with are welcome and it becomes an echo chamber. Some sort of benevolent, you know whatever. Yeah. The problem is is increasing, right? Because as you as you weed out people that you don't like and you grow the following of people that agree with you, the echo chamber continues and the second an opinion of dissent comes up, now all of a sudden it seems like a bigger deal than it is because you might have the world may be split 50-50, right? right? But if you only have 50% of the world that exists on Twitter because the other half has been banned, every time a couple of those people come in, they immediately get gobbled up by the by the majority that say, "Hey, right. We don't, we don't, that's hate speech. You can't talk. Well, all I said was that Donald Trump was doing a good job. That's hate speech. Right. 
but the economy is new. It's just hate speech. And then everybody agrees it's hate speech, so they get kicked off the platform. You, Your story, Noah, as with the Ask Noah show and, and all of the work that you've done in the world of Linux um, has interacted or intersected with this discussion in the past, whether it was through the meritocracy stuff or mm. um, whether it was through the, the uh, what was the... The, the code of conduct stuff mm-hmm. that came up. Um, how have how has it affected you, whether it's with your your podcast, Ask Noah Show, or your business as Alta Speed Technology or some of these others? How has how has some of that kind of um, radical ideology of you have to agree to what I believe or what my morals or my values are? Uh, in order to be allowed to play in in the kind of global sandbox, so that that's an interesting question. So the way that we have traditionally operated in the tech sphere, because we have people from different countries, with different beliefs, with different backgrounds, with different sexual orientations, with different gender identities, like every buzzword bingo you can think of in modern political society, they exist in the tech space. And for the most part, for the last, I'd say, twenty years, we've done a. I think we've done a pretty good job of being agnostic to it. We don't right. care. I don't care how you identify. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you believe. If you can complete the project. If you can add valuable code to the project, we want you there. And sometime, and I can't really put my finger on when this happened, sometime in the last, certainly within the last 10 years, probably within the last five or six years, there has been this shift of instead of you do you and I'll do me and we'll come together for the purpose of code. Now, all of a sudden, we, for some reason, have started to try to become aware and conscious and dis, I, I, I really, I guess, uh, discriminating against people who don't believe a, a, a given standard. And I won't even go as far as to say that it's the majority, right? Yeah. I don't even think necessarily a majority of people believe that. I think the majority of people are like, listen, if it's good code, it should stay. If it's bad code, it should go. Don't care about anything else. Right. But there's a very vocal minority of people out there that say, not I'll give you an example. One of the arguments that they put is if you have a black female that contributes code and it's poor code, well, it's not really poor code. It's poor code if everything was judged equal. But you have to understand that this was written by a black woman. And so she was not born on third base like you white privileged men are. Mm. And so it's harder for her to write the same competency code as you could write as a white male. So even if her code is only half as good, and even if it it, it has filled with a bunch of bugs and has to be fixed, we should value her contribution as much as we should a white male who writes perfect code right. because she's at a disadvantage. And it is flawed for so many reasons. The biggest one is this. First of all, it's a massive insult right. to black women to say that you can't code as well as white men can, so right. we have to artificially step you up. Right. No, there are plenty of software engineers that are black females or Muslim females or w- w- pick your pick, right. pick your buzzword bingo of minorities and they can code just fine without your little stepping stools. They don't need your help. They're perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, and, and many of the, and it is an insult to them to say that they're not capable of competing on the same level as the rest of us because of the color of their skin or because of their belief or because of their gender. Can, it's ridiculous Candace, and it's insulting. Candace Owen recently tweeted, and I sent this to you. It says, Candace Owen said, when spoken to a white liberal, the sentence, quote, I am not a victim and see myself as your equals draws confusion and rage. But when spoken to a white conservative draws love and relief, that's all you mm. really know, need to know to determine which side thinks of black people as beneath them. And and there really is some of that. I actually have had people call into my radio show in the past, and I've, I've had the discussion and said, look, if you genuinely believe that a black person from the inner city of Chicago is incapable or incapable of success without right. your help, you're the racist. Because I don't think any black person anywhere in this country at all needs my help for anything. That's right. I believe they're quite yeah, capable of succeeding right. all by themselves. That's right. You know, and so that's the that's really the difference there. So in the world of of all of this, as it relates to you know the tech in industry, the the deplatforming of various podcasters, because you kind of float between so many of these different industries. Mm-hmm. You you do the podcasting stuff, you do the the content creation stuff in in a couple of different ways with Ask Noah and some of the other stuff that you do, and and some of the social media stuff that you've been involved in over the years. I've seen some of the videos that you've produced with you know convincing people to try Linux and, and mm-hmm. things like that, um, and and 
this is this is be going to become a bigger issue as more and more people enter the content creation world, right? Because it's fairly easy to put together a podcast nowadays. It's mm. it's I mean it's it's easy to complete the steps to produce con- or to to publish to, content. Yes, right, I agree. Right. It's not it, yes, and I, I want to I guess make that distinction. It's it's difficult <clears throat> to do it well, um, and I'm finding that out firsthand. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that I've you know I've I've acknowledged on the on the show here that that I, I, if I'm honest with myself in in doing some honest self evaluation, the Schmidt show is not quite where I want it to be yet, mm-hmm. and we're working on on making those necessary improvements. So it but it's easy to put together a a bit of content and publish it is is what mm-hmm. is the accurate way there. So is it is this issue going to become a bigger issue in your mind from a from a text perspective and and or is this going to is that sort of ease of production going to actually maybe alleviate some of this? Um I think that any well Again, this is why I say it's easy to publish content, right? right? It's easy to record something and put it on the internet. The problem is in order to actually get people to discover your content, to listen to your content, to talk about your content, to share your content, you need an apparatus. And those apparatuses are oftentimes controlled by people that wouldn't agree with you and me. Right. So you and I can publish a podcast and maybe it's the best podcast the world has ever seen. Right. But it may never get anywhere because you can't share it on Facebook. You can't share it on Twitter. You can't share it on Vimeo. Right. Um, and so... <clears throat> Myself and a lot of other people have started to to evaluate that and say, let's not worry about the content creation side of it. Let's not worry about the, uh, you know, the social reach of that. Let's start worrying about those infrastructure problems and see if we can address those head on. And the answer seems to be, although I've yet to see it done well, is decentralization of a social media platform. Things right. like Mastodon, right? Yep. You can run your own Mastodon instance and you can uh, and share your yep. content. And anybody can join your Mastodon instance and they can share their content and that will be replicated around with other Mastodon instance. And nobody can shut it down because it's all one central thing. Right. You can either choose to be separated from the central thing or not. But if you're connected to the central thing, you see everybody. See, and that's one of the things that I've actually been frustrated with. And this is kind of an off the, you know, a, a little bit of an offshoot of a discussion. Like I've tried Mastodon. I've tried a couple of the others. There's a there's a Twitter equivalent or Twitter alternative. I can't remember even what it's called, but I tried mm-hmm. it. And it's like it's garbage. It's just not, I mean, well, it's just not so well here's, done. So here's the, here's the thing. So the, 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 um, the, I have to, I have to look it up. I can't remember what the protocol is called, but there's a protocol that, that these applications use to share information with, with other ones. Right. And it's a standardized protocol. And the advantage of it being a standardized protocol is it means that anybody can participate or anybody can recreate the software in a way that's better. So you could literally, for a sake of argument, this couldn't right. actually happen because of patent law and all that. But let's just say, for example, that you all of a sudden are in charge of Twitter. You could absolutely – is it called, let me look it up. Protocol Social Hub, I think it's called, something like that. Pro- Protocol Social Hub? Uh, there's – I can't think of the name, but there is um, there is a protocol for um, uh, for – essentially that that allows all of these acti- activity pub that's the name of the protocol okay so mastodon for example uses the activity pub protocol as does another social media network called diaspora so those two instances can talk to each other right if you woke up and you were in charge of twitter tomorrow you could absolutely say hey we are going to make twitter compliant to activity pub and so it will then sync with all of the other activity pubs and all of a sudden twitter would become a participant in that and so if you like the way that twitter works or you like the way that facebook works you like the way of whatever social media you like work you can take that code and make it compliant with the activity pub protocol and okay. get those things to talk around okay um the advantage to that means is that once we acknowledge that that's the way, direction we're going to go and we start getting users there, there'll be incentive for people to build better and better interfaces for us. Okay. So, well, and hopefully something like that happens as we, as mm-hmm. we move into technology. What do you see? What do you see then the viability of something like that? Is, is that going to be the next, you know, because until Facebook came along, that was MySpace, you know, and, and who still has a MySpace account? You know, what, what is going to be the next thing that knocks off, Facebook or Instagram or, or social or, or whatever various um, item of social media. Is it going to be something like that? I mean, in your opinion, of course, I, the problem with the problem with decentralization is it moves the onus of sustainability and maintenance onto the end user. 
And if there's anything that we know about people, it's they like to complain, but they're also very lazy. Right. So there's a p- tons of people that will come out and say, oh, I don't want to be de- deplatformed. I'll fight the good fight against deplatforming by updating my Facebook status. And then you say, OK, well, here's what we do. Uh, you run this instance. I'll even make you a script. So all you have to do is just double click on this button and I'll run the script and then this thing will run on your computer. Maybe they try it for a couple of weeks. Maybe they even goes a couple of months, might even make it a couple of years. Eventually they get sick of maintaining the thing and they go, I just want to go someplace I can sign up for an account. Right. Now you're, now, you're, now you're back to centralization right. again. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess that to me is going to be the death of a lot of these things. Like one of the things that I've, I've said this before, my son and I talk about this quite a bit. I'm a, I'm a former Apple guy. Mm-hmm. I, every iPhone or every phone I had for the last four or five, you know, options was an iPhone. I think the first one I had was a four. Then I went to a five a S or something. Then I had a mm-hmm. six and whatever. Um, and recently just switched to the Samsung S 10. And I like the Samsung S 10. Mm-hmm. It is clearly a, a technologically superior phone mm-hmm. to the, to the Apple. Um, but you know what? I've I've thought a couple of times of walking into the Verizon store and trading it back in really for for the newest whatever the uh, iPhone, iPhone X or whatever, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, because not because I don't like the Samsung, but it just it's I I I, I it's easier. I've, mm-hmm. I've been using the iPhone for so long. I know where everything's at. I don't yeah. have to think about it. Mm-hmm. It's It was intuitive and all that kind of stuff. The only thing I don't like about the phone is the fingerprint scanner sucks, but that's a different, <laughs> that's a different discussion. But yeah, so like, and, and I think most, like you said, most human beings are like that. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're lazy enough That's right. to where, yeah, it's just easier. I'm not, I'm not going to switch to the new Samsung or I'm not going to switch from the new Samsung to the iPhone because I already know how to use the iPhone. Right. I know where all the cool tips and tricks are. And that's right. I've got everything set up the way I want it. And it's just easier. So, Mm -hmm. um, in, as we kind of move maybe into the, the future discussion with all of this, as it relates to podcasting and I'm in radio as well, and you've filled in for me and you've been kind of making a, a foray into the world of radio as well. Where does all of this stuff, intersect because with radio I have there's certain rules I have to follow being mm-hmm. a public broadcasting company we have to you know we have to essentially be doing things in the interest of you know in public interest I don't remember what the actual word is uh, that they use but it's essentially you have to do make sure it's in in the public interest um, this the old George Carlin bit the seven words you can't say on mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. broadcast TV or whatever um, you've got the the equal time rules like I'm having next week on the Schmidt Show podcast, I'm going to be having Kelly Armstrong joining me. Congressman Kelly Armstrong from from North Dakota is going to be on the podcast, and he's going to tell his story and how he ended up in politics and and all of that. Um, in in the world of radio, mm-hmm. if I have Kelly Armstrong on during a campaign, of course, is in a campaign. Um, I, we as a radio station have to equal offer equal time to his opponent on the podcast. Right. I, I don't have to, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, where does all of that stuff interact or intersect and, and where, where is maybe a, an appropriate level of, of regulation for whether it's podcasting or social media, there's or, no appropriate regulation. Isn't there? No. I, and, I would and agree on the with internet, you. On the internet, there isn't. And I, and I don't even think it's necessarily appropriate on the airways, but it's the boat that we fell into. And I, think about this, right? Conservatives started to get traction and on on TV. And so liberals said, hey, we are going to, we want, we need equal time. You need to give us equal time. We need to, okay. So then all of a sudden we started giving equal time. And what ended up happening was liberals ended up kind of taking over the, the airwaves right. on TV. And so conservatives went over to radio. And once they got on radio and started, you know, making a name right. for themselves, now all of a sudden they wanted the to be doctrine. Yeah, they they wanted it to be equal on radio too. The problem that they didn't anticipate was when you do it on TV. I say my talking points, you get equal time. You say your talking points. Now it appears equal to the viewer, right? Right. The problem on radio is you're accountable for every word that you say because you have to take calls, and those callers can check you. And so when you're a conservative and you go on the air and you start talking about things, and callers come in and challenge you. I have to be prepared to defend those arguments. Well, guess what happens when you're a, a liberal and you don't base your logic, you don't base your your thoughts on logic, ration, and reason, and, and and essentially what they do is 
they'll show you any two angles, but they'll never show you the third angle, the triangle. Mm -hmm. And the third angle is what makes the entire argument fall apart. For example, we need to have public housing because there are people that are homeless and it's our job as human beings to provide for them. That sounds like a great argument and everything sounds fantastic until you go to Minneapolis and they gave a bunch of homeless people homes and then a bunch of new homeless people decided they didn't want to work. And so they showed up to 10 city because they went, Hey, I heard you're giving out free homes, right? That's that third angle that they can't show you. And the problem is when you're on the radio, you have to be, you can only present two of those angles or your argument falls apart. And progressives didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that a caller would call up and make them look like an idiot. So they started to retreat from the airwaves and ever since talk radio has been dominated by conservatives. And now we're stuck with this antiquated doctrine or this antiquated law, this antiquated regulation that basically says that we have to give equal time. The reality is, you know what? You want equal time? Go start a liberal talk radio station and good luck to you. You know, and this is that's twice as true on the Internet. There is a there is somewhat of a limit on how many frequencies you can broadcast on a traditional radio. Now, with digital technology, obviously, that's even kind of gone out the window. But there is a limit. Right. The Internet, there is no limit. There's no conceivable limit that we can come up with uh, how many different pieces of content you can have on the Internet. So if you don't like what we're saying on The Schmidt Show, don't start your own podcast. There's not some central server where the Internet is stored. Right, yeah. It's not like the Internet exists in... But even if it was, storage is is growing. Even if it was, storage is growing. It just that does not apply to the Internet. It just doesn't. And so the further we can get from regulation, the better. Uh, I think people should be able to say whatever they want to say on the Internet. And if you don't like it, don't listen to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, that's like I say, I agree with you. And 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 I, I understand that the importance of the the Internet kind of remaining the wild, wild west, so to speak. But I'm also as a as a former pastor, my bias towards morality um, lends or leads me to go, yeah, but what about those people? Like, I get the white supremacists, they can talk all they want and we can point at them and laugh and, and mm-hmm. point out how dumb they are. But let me ask you this what, whoever it is you're worried, worried about, are you afraid that they're right? No, I'm afraid that there's enough people that agree with them that they will seem mainstream. So, I mean, and, why is that a bad thing? And well, using the the pedophilia argument, mm-hmm. you know, when if it ever gets to a point, to where, be clear, I don't think pedophilia is anywhere near mainstream, right? Well, no, no, I'm not, but it, I do, I don't want it to ever get there. And so, how do we how do we prevent that? And I, don't, I think so, the answer is I think the answer is simply being, you know. Like you say, exposing it. I think the answer really, and maybe you or maybe somebody else doesn't want to hear it. The answer is if there is an uncomfortable topic and it is gaining a lot of traction, it's because there's a lot of people that agree with it and believe it and not talking about it and hiding it doesn't do anything to dissuade those people. All it does is push them into the shadows and into the corners where they're not having right. that discussion out in the open. Yeah. They're still the same amount of people. They all have the same beliefs. We're just all blind to it. Right. So it's kind of like saying, I don't like what these people are saying. I'm going to go stick my head in the sand so I don't have to. Hear. I mean, yeah. it's kind of silly, right? Yeah. But, and I think that's what maybe frustrates me about it, is I know that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, sure. I, I know that's reality. And and I guess I just I, 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 I fear that if we if we talk about too much like there is and maybe that's the question is there is there a line is there a line of well nope. yeah talking about it is one thing but if we talk about it too much it will become normalized no in fact i i can pretty safely say i don't hold a belief that i can't defend right i can t- i can yeah. I, I could i could you sit me down with a pedophile and i will have a rational calm intelligible debate as to why their belief system is wrong and why my belief system is right. And I have facts and figures and statistics and anything you can imagine to prove that beyond a logical, reasonable doubt. If that's a, if that's a, if that's a metric that we can use, right? right? Anybody listening, I'm comfortable with my ability to articulate my beliefs. And the, I, I say that with everything and the, and the things that I'm not comfortable defending logically, you know, things where it comes to faith, where I can't prove to you I can't prove to you that God exists, right? but you also can't prove to me that God doesn't exist. And so in that case, I'm perfectly fine saying, well, we just separate out into our own belief systems and just say, you're welcome to believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. Let's just, you know, we don't have to convince each other of that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like I say, I I guess like I say, my, my concern is growing up in a, in a, 
uh, religiously conservative home mm-hmm. where I had a, a mother and father who, who I believe did an incredible job of, you know, teaching my brother and I right from wrong without being overly, um, what's the word? Fundamentalist mm-hmm. or overly, um, you know, not cult-like, sure. you know, they, they, they lived in, in the real world Yep. and, and said, you know, Hey, you know, go to school, you know, do your homework and, and behave and, and all of that kind of thing. But we also realize that you're a kid mm-hmm. and we realize that you're going to misbehave at some point. And when I did misbehave, the response was not, you know, sit down and, and write a thousand sentences about how you're going to go to hell. You know, it was, Hey, this is this, what you did was wrong. This is why it was wrong. This is why we don't do those sorts of things in our family. Um, and, Grace was offered and forgiveness was was handed out, mm-hmm. um, along with a uh, an appropriate level of punishment, right? Mm-hmm. And so, growing up that way, um, there's there's there was a part of me, or there still is a part of me, that wants to be that for society. You know, I, I want to be that that um, voice of morals and ethics, and I mm-hmm. suppose that's part of why I, I ended up becoming a pastor, right? Sure. And and I guess, so in the interest of honesty or full disclosure, like that's part of the discussion that happens inside my head mm-hmm. as we talk about, yeah, we need the the wild, wild west of the internet. And I absolutely 100% agree with that. But I also want to go, yeah, but we kind of need a few um, Texas Rangers roaming around in the wild, wild west, making sure, you know, you yeah, know I'm fine saying? with that. I just don't think it's appropriate. I don't think here's I guess what it really comes down to is I don't believe it's possible on the Internet. I don't, I don't believe you actually can police people on the Internet. So I think it's I think it's somewhat delusional to try. Well, and even if we even if we do, I mean, even if we do get to a point where we start sending out a few of those, you know, Internet Texas Rangers, so to speak, um, you know, people are just going to set up different VPNs and things like that. That's to, my point. If you have around it anyway. Yeah, that's my point. If you have unless you unless the if the majority of people believe a certain way, then what you're talking about isn't even an isn't an issue. Right. Right. If the majority of people don't believe a certain way, then you don't have enough other people to control the majority of the. It's just it's it's a it's a logic again. It's a logical yeah. fallacy. It doesn't make any sense. Me, and I don't really understand. I've never ever understood the well. If enough people talk about it, maybe I, nobody has. Maybe just because I'm weird and my brain is wired differently. I've never heard a message enough times that I've been like, well, I started out thinking I was wrong, but now I've heard it so many times. Maybe there's something that's never occurred to me ever. Oh, I can I can give you a specific example of that. Really? For me? Yeah, marijuana. Okay, I, hold I, on. So hold on. Is it you heard it? You heard something enough times and changed your mind, or is it you started to people started to make arguments for things, and the logic portion of your brain went, "This is the way I thought before." Now all of a sudden, there's a seg fault in my logic, and this thing actually carries me further. That argument makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. That's, that, that's yeah. not just I, right. I. I tell you, you you come out and say marijuana is a bad idea, and then I just say it's not a bad idea enough times that you just all of a sudden change your mind. Like right. there's there's a there's a process of logic and yeah. logic and discussion. Though I would argue makes us better as a society. And furthermore, if your ultimate supremacy for morality is the Bible, which I assume it is, it's right. mine. Yep. I believe, as I'm sure you believe, that there is no. There is no greater logical being than God. Thus, everything in the Bible perfectly follows logic 100% of the time, even if we don't always understand it. Those kind of discussions, I think, will lead people closer to morality and God because I think God and I think God and the Bible and morality is intrinsically logic. Right. So I I don't mind. I don't mind those discussions. There's there people always say, well, you're just following blindly. If you read, if you actually take the time to not just read the Bible, but study it and really understand it, you know, nearly there's, there's very few times. In fact, the only time that I can think of where God ever says, just because I said so, you know, that we used to get from our parents. Well, why not dad? I said, so that's why not. Mm -hmm. There's only one time I've ever found that in the Bible. And it's when, when God tells Abraham, go to the place where I will show you. Mm -hmm. That's even, and even then, even then, there is logic behind right, it. Right, there is logic behind it. It's, it, it's not just not clearly visible. clear to Abraham right that minute. Right, right. and so so all of this f- for me is, um, yeah, that's a, that. I think that's probably the best way to say it. It, it is a matter of um, finding 
that balance personally or finding that place where it is acceptable to behave this way. It's mm-hmm. not acceptable to behave that way. And so maybe, you know what, I'm going to, I, man, this is not something I really thought through. I wasn't planning on taking this direction during the, the show. Maybe what, maybe what needs to happen is the Texas Ranger internet cops, whatever, mm-hmm. simply need to be us. And when we, when we, and when we, and the weapon of, you know, instead of the old Colt revolver, mm-hmm. you know, the weapon is, you said something absurd. Mm-hmm. I'm going to point out the absurdity and fallacy of your discussion. Sure. And, and that's where, coming back to what you kind of said as we started the show today, um, the, the answer to protecting free speech is more free speech. Mm-hmm. And, and. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of get behind that. I just I guess to me it's not it's not that important to me to convince other people that they're wrong about something. And it's not important to me to point out problems when I see them. It and I like you said, I fully admit it could could just be the weird way my brain is wired, but for me it's way more important for me to to express myself and mm. and my message and the things that I think are true right. and then constantly challenge those things and evaluate them against what other people say are true and see which one plays out. Yeah. And I'm fine with going wh- whatever the winner is, as long as it makes sense and adheres to logic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. I, I guess like say the, and I'm not necessarily want to go out and, and attack, you know, go in on attack mode to find all the people who are wrong and disagree with me mm-hmm. and set them straight. But if I run across them, um, I I feel I have a moral obligation to to right or wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm walking down the street and and I, I happen to notice that, um, you know, Sally is being attacked or accosted or or assaulted on the mm-hmm. street corner, mm-hmm. um, as a concealed carry holder, I believe it's my moral obligation to to protect her if she is unable of protecting herself. That's interesting. That's interesting for a couple of reasons, because first of all, um, it, it, it leads down a dangerous path of who gets to decide what is moral. So so like to, to twist that on its head, right? Does everybody have that obligation? So if somebody sees, if somebody could, you know, that could get twisted, right? Mm -hmm. You could have somebody that would say, I believe it's my job to write, uh, intrinsic morals, that that when I see them, so if right. I see somebody uh, ha- having a having a casual conversation, making jokes about people who are gay or transgender mm. or whatever, mm. it's my job to shoot them in the face because yeah, they're a point. harm to society. Yeah. You know, which obviously sounds crazy to you and me, right. and and we can discuss that and say, well, that's you know that's murder, but right, you would never do that, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it it's it stems from that same belief of what I think of the world is right and the way that everybody else thinks the world is wrong, and it's my job to go around and correct other people's behavior. There's a, there is a difference when you start to like in your example, when you start to see uh, somebody else's rights being violated, I think it is appropriate for other people to step in. But I, I kind of wonder if that's not the job of the, um, if I kind of wonder if that's not the job of the police to step in and, 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 and then it becomes a legislative question. What things do we ban in law and what things do we not ban in law? Well, but, but specifically to the internet discussion, if there mm-hmm. is no police, then who's, yeah. who is the, well, you don't, you don't, you arbiter. don't, well, you don't, there is no arbiter. People can say whatever they want to say and people are willing to listen to whatever they want to listen. And the, and, and, and both messages get out there. See, and, and, that, and that's where I would say, I feel that I have a moral obligation to, if if I if I happen upon an argument mm-hmm. on, uh, you know whatever platform it's it's irrelevant what the platform is sure and and you know Jim Bob KKK member is is making a statement that mm-hmm. black people are are garbage or not you yep. know whatever sure I feel like I have a moral obligation to go eh I don't think you're right there that's I, a little different though a right you're not stopping them from saying something you're just adding your voice into that uh, discussion yeah, sure. right yeah we're in the in the in the real world you're uh, stopping you're someone's actions. physically yeah. stopping someone from mm-hmm. from from illegal doing what they you know, or doing what they think is right to do right. I mean I don't think it, yeah it's kind of a bad example because I I feel like there's nobody out there defending rape but if right but even it, it, maybe not even they think it's right but they just think it's acceptable I get right. to do what I want to do right yeah 
So interesting. Well, I suppose uh, no. This is this is a conversation I think you and I need to have on a on a future episode, and the discussion is about that discussion of morality because there there if we don't know what is wrong, we can't know what is right. If we don't understand what is good, we can't understand what is bad. So there there has to be some sort of moral standard, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere. Now, who gets to decide what that moral standard is eh, gets a little fuzzy. Right. But there has to be at least some sort of standard, right? There has to be this thing that we all agree on is wrong. I believe Jordan Peterson in his book, um, 12 Rules for Life or whatever, talks mm-hmm. about the moral standard being, um, I can't remember how he worded it essentially, but um, not allowing you know, evil to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. if if someone's doing, you know, someone else harm and I have the ability to stop it, then I have to stop it. Like, and like, that's a terrible paraphrase of what he said. I just actually listened to it last night, but he, um, he essentially says there is a moral standard. And he said, growing up in my, you know, fairly, uh, strict Christian home, I had believed that the Bible was this moral standard. He said, as I became you know, more enlightened or whatever his reasoning was. He he realized that that was silly. I disagree with him on that. But he said there still has to be, even if it's not the Bible or some sort of religious thing, there has to be some sort of moral standard. Because if there is no moral standard, then everybody gets to decide what their moral standard is. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous for society as, and, and humanity in general. I don't know if I agree with that or not. I'd have to think about it. I, I, I say that because I know plenty of agnostic and atheist people that are very moral people. Right. Right. But they, but they have some sort of objective moral standard. Yeah, libertarianism. Yeah. They, well, <laughs> but they think at some point this thing is wrong. Like if you if, what they, where where they draw the line, and it's the most logical place to draw a political line is where your rights and freedoms begin to infringe on the rights and freedoms of somebody else. So, for example. I can do whatever I want un- uh, unless it affects you. So to bring it back to the marijuana thing, if I sit in my basement and smoke pot all day, that doesn't affect you one iota. Right. If I get into my car and drive and I crash into you, now it affects you. So right. the way place we draw the line is not at smoking the pot. We draw the line at getting into a car and driving. Right. Um, and obviously there are good arguments to be made on both sides of right. why that's problematic or whatever. But the point is uh, the, the from a politi- sociopolitical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to draw the line where the rights of somebody start to infringe on the rights of somebody else. Right. Um, and, and so from that perspective, you don't necessarily need from a political standpoint, again, not a great way to run your life in the long run, but from a political standpoint only, we don't really need a, a, a moral supremacy thing to look up to. We can go by that thing and just don't step over my line. Now right. there's a billion problems because the world, the, everybody's the, line is different. Well, that we don't live in a vacuum. Right? right. And so the idea that you can actually live inside of your lines and never cross yeah. over into somebody else's lines is ridiculous. Right? right. But it's a, it's a great starting point for a political discussion. And oftentimes what I use anytime somebody says, well, should we vote for this law? Or should we not vote for this law? How do we do that? My metric is maximum absence of coercion. And I, I defend that pretty well with my Christian views because as society turns further and further from the Bible, that maximum absence of coercion ensures my ability to practice my faith regardless of whatever the rest of the right. world is doing because I don't think there's anything in the Bible that violates that stepping over the line into right. somebody else's sandbox, so to speak. But when I when I say that there has to be a moral standard, and, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of wrap it up with this because I know you've got other things to get going and we're I don't want to go too long, but and this is like say we'll have to come back to a another we'll have to come back to another uh do this in another episode. But there has to be some sort of moral standard. Um because if if you want to steal my car because you need to get to work, mm-hmm. your right to move freely about the country mm-hmm. um, is hindered by me not allowing you to steal my car. Right. Like that. I mean, and I know that's really sketchy and really thin, but yeah, cause you bought the car. So right. it's not really my right to use your car that you paid for. Well, but it's your right to move freely and travel about where as long you as it travel does, as long as it doesn't infringe on 
on on your again your, my freedom stops when when it starts to infringe on you so now i've taken right. your car that you pay maintenance on that you insure that you purchased yeah. that's wear and tear that but and i have, an, I have another car so you're not by stealing my first car you're not you're not infringing upon my right to move about the world and, I, and like i said i get yeah. that that's very thin and and i and it's intentionally so mm-hmm. but it, there there has to be at least some sort of moral standard that says theft is wrong period no matter what your reason for for stealing is, you know you were you were starving and your kid needed some baby formula, and your 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 baby's right to survive and needing formula is you know does not supersede my right to my own property. Mm-hmm. So there's so theft is wrong. Period. No matter what the motivation or the reasoning behind it, there has to be some objective moral standard, whatever that moral standard is, and it and it can't be well. I think it's okay to steal to feed a baby, mm-hmm. you know, because in the end, the baby's more important. Right. You know, so anyway, with that, let's, uh, we'll have to, like I say, we'll have to come back to that because I think there's a very interesting discussion to have there um, and and uh, something I think that you and I could really have a lot of fun with. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that in another episode um, next week uh, on The Schmidt Show. Uh, Congressman Kelly Armstrong, I just verified that you know, this morning. If you want to tie all this up with a neat little bow, mm. Ask Congressman Armstrong about flag burning because that fits exactly within what we're talking about. Right. You have some people on on, on one side. They're saying it is a moral superiority thing to say you can't burn a flag. And there's a bunch of other people that are saying, listen, if you want to make a statement about burning a flag, you go ahead and burn a flag. There's nothing to stop you. That's why we have a First Amendment in this in this country. And interestingly enough, two conservative people, both Armstrong and Kramer, disagree on this. They have different views. So I won't ruin it. But yeah. that might be a direction you might want to go with him. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. That could yeah. really tie all this whole discussion up. Yeah, because that. So anyway, that's a great way to say it. So we'll uh, we'll end on that. If you want to support us and be a part of the Schmidt Show, you can find us on all sorts of different social media platforms that we were just beating up on for a little bit. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. We are out there. Um, if you want to help us out and help us fund this whole thing, uh, microphones and, and mixing boards and all that kind of stuff get expensive. Uh, the cost for, for downloading and, and using various softwares and sending out podcasts and all that kind of stuff uh, costs some money. So if you want to help us out, you can do that on Patreon. I'm not going to sit and beg for money, but you know how to do that if you're smart you know how to find patreon all that kind of stuff um no any closing thoughts no this has been great man yeah well i appreciate you telling your story a little bit and and how you got to where you are and uh we look forward to uh continuing all of this in the future it is uh the schmidt show i am your host brad schmidt the the other voice you've heard today is a voice that you have been uh regularly uh accustomed to the hig and uh, he will certainly um in the future uh, contribute to the success of the Schmidt Show podcast as will you. We'll see you next week. 